Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Dustin Burleson. Dr. Burleson is a speaker, teacher, author, and business strategist for over 4,000 professional practice owners and entrepreneurs located in 35 countries. Holy cow, that's amazing. Also an attending orthodontist at Children's Mercy Hospital and an adjunct clinical professor at UMKC School of Dentistry in the Department of Orthodontics and Dental Facial Orthopedics. Dr. Burleson's orthodontic marketing campaigns have generated over $500 million in revenue for his clients and privately held practices. He is the author of seven best-selling books and provides free orthodontic treatment to children in need through Smile Change Lives. And he does more of that than any other doctor in North America. That was a mouthful. Dustin, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, hopefully you can live up to that intro because it's pretty impressive. <laughs> So <laughs> anytime my wife wants to give me a hard time or if I'm talking too much, she's like, oh, speaker, teacher, author. <laughs> she just rubs it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> she's awesome. like, why can't you just be an orthodontist like all of your friends? You know, like you got to add more stuff to it. <laughs> so yeah. Um so, it's a lot. Sleep, sleep is overrated, right? Exactly. I feel like- <laughs> so, you know, you got an interesting background and story here. So you you became an orthodontist. Kind of kind of give us the reader's digest version of how you became who you are. Yeah, I, so my entire family is uh, filled with dentists. So uh, my father, brothers, uncle, cousins, my mom's cousin, and his kids. You had no chance. My, you had yeah, no chance. My, my ex-wife and her dad. I mean, they're like there are like twelve dentists at most family gatherings, and so I, you know, it's not really fair to say I was like that. They no one pushed me into it. A lot of people think that, like, oh, your dad just told you to become a dentist. I just grew up with it. So I was in his office. From the time I was riding my big wheel in the basement of his uh, dental practice, and when I was old enough to read the alphabet, I was filing charts. Remember those paper things they used to like file, you know, vertically. And I did like it. I liked healthcare. I shadowed some physicians who were friends of my dad, and uh, I didn't like that they were on call. And I think that's why he made me go shadow them. He's like, follow them around for the weekend and see if you would like to be a, a physician. And they'd get call at two in the morning and have to go down to the hospital. So I, I didn't like that, but I loved helping people. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get into a six-year program in Kansas City where they would let you get your bachelor's and your and your dental degree in six years if you got into this program. It was really cool. So I moved out to Kansas City, and I've been here ever since. I, I really had orthodontics always in the back of my mind because I worked for my orthodontist in my town. I um I shadowed him on on the weekends and I would go on summer break, I would go and work in his office and I loved orthodontics because you got to make people happy and there was no drilling and not a lot of drilling, not a lot of needles and surgery. And, um, but I knew it was really hard to get into. So all through dental school, I didn't really, 
I really planned on being a general dentist. So I applied for honors endo. Uh, I applied for honors ortho. I applied for honors oral surgery. I wanted to do everything. And I landed on ortho and thought, well, I might have a chance to get in. So I applied and, and was very lucky to get in. It's a very, as you know, competitive process. So I'm beyond thrilled. I, I actually practiced general dentistry while I was in residency. So for about two and a half years, I did crowns and bridges and root canals and dentures and had a young family at that time and bills to pay. So they didn't ask at our residency that they would shoot me dead if they knew that. I mean, if like my program director said, you can be a dentist on the evenings and weekends, as long as you don't tell anyone. <laughs> it's like, so from five 30 till nine 30 at night, I would, I would leave my residency and go drill on teeth till nine 30 at night. And then Saturday I worked all day from eight till 6 PM. And so I loved, I loved dentistry. I uh, just always grew up around it. It's a long answer, but um, beyond honored and thrilled to have been given the chance to become an orthodontist, which is really um, often overlooked, right? Like the no amount of ambition makes up for the fact that someone gave me the opportunity to do that. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so you're an orthodontist, all of a sudden you start having a lot of success. So talk about that and kind of where all that evolved to. Yeah, we, I, I don't know if it was all of a sudden <laughs> I went home my first, the first month in private practice, we, at the time I signed up to become an associate back then, I was working for like 500 bucks a day, which most of the residents today are like, how would you even pay your student loans? They're like, I have no idea. It's a different world back then. So we started a practice from scratch and I would work all day as an associate. And I kind of, maybe I, this is a recurring theme. I would leave that associate job at five o'clock at night and go to my private practice that had three chairs. I, I, guess, over, over. Yeah. I guess that begs the question is what are you doing at five o'clock this evening? Yeah. Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to dinner with an orthodontist friend tonight. <laughs> there's not, there's not a side gig going on. Oh, at night. Thank God. Right. Hustling's for the young and energetic. And I just, I like to be in bed by nine 30 nowadays. So. <laughs> so I would leave that office and go work uh, in my practice until people would stop coming. Sometimes that was six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock rock, right? Is that the song we would do sometimes nine o'clock new patients. So we stumbled into that. We, started attracting moms who a lot of them were nurses. A lot of them were working single mothers who couldn't miss work or school. A lot of them were GM and Ford employees. We make the Ford F-150 in Kansas city, uh, the world's most popular selling car. We also a truck. We um, make, I think the Chevy Malibu and one of those vans that's like for commerce. Anyways, we make a lot of cars in Kansas city. Those parents started telling me, you know, if we miss more than two hours of work, they dock us for a half a day. So if mom worked the day shift and dad worked the night shift at Ford, they were doing well financially, working their fingers to the bone, usually had a lot of kids in the house, but they didn't want to take off work to bring their kids to the orthodontist. So they really started telling their friends about us because we were open 7 a.m. Once I left that associate job, we were open 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. We were kind of crazy, um, but it didn't happen all of a sudden was the long answer to this point is that our first month in private practice, we started one new patient. I thought, boy, we've, we've made a mistake. It was November of 2006. December, we started zero new patients. And I told my wife, I was like, we might have really screwed up here. We might be in an area with too much competition. We were on every insurance list. We were like, call the phone company, the pervert, you know, the joke, like, is this, is this thing on, you know, because it's not ringing. <laughs> so <laughs> we, <laughs> we went from 2006, kind of like that and scraped and clawed to 2009 we got it to about 1.2 million and an annual revenue. And then the financial collapse happened. And a lot of parents were paying with, you know, the home equity line of credit. 
using that for braces and vacations and that just dried up. So we, um, at that time we saw dentists really retreat. There were a lot of fewer people going to the dentist, which means a lot fewer referrals for us in orthodontics. And we met some smart people in marketing, uh, people, you know, like Dan Kennedy, Gary Bensavinga, John Carlton, part of Elantris, people that know how to do marketing. And they said, you can be nice to the dentists and it's nice if they send you people, but you should go straight to the consumer like these pharmaceutical companies were doing. And so we started doing a ton of direct mail and radio and print and um, newspaper inserts and anything that would work. And thank God it worked. So we tripled the business in about 18 months. We went to 3.6 million. Then we expanded and added associates and we tripled it again. So that was the kind of runway from 2006 to about 2012. We opened a flagship clinic in 2012 that had 24 chairs Two, two of them were TC rooms, but we built this huge flagship and put pediatric dentistry into it. We had six doctors at that time. And Rob, that's back when I had hair, you know, so that, <laughs> that caused me to lose a lot of hair. And um, anyways, fast forward to about 2020 pandemic happens. We started thinking seriously about how much time I had left with my kids in the house. I've got a sophomore in high school and two right behind them. And I thought this would be a perfect time with high valuations and other things I have going on in my life to partner up with a large DSO. So we partnered up with uh, Rock Dental Brands and they're in control of our practices now. So I'm a consultant for them. I'm out of their clinics, but uh, we're, we're good friends still. And I, um, I just thought it was a great opportunity. So we have practiced for about 15 years. But if you do the hard math, because we work six days a week, I, I put 24 years of Monday <laughs> through Thursday the average orthodontist would have taken 24 years working Monday through Thursday to do what we did in 15. So let's go back to you started talking to some marketing people and started basically for lack of a better term, circumventing the general dentist and going direct to the patient. Talk a little bit about that, what you did, how you did it and why it worked. Oh man, it was cause controversial <laughs> for sure. Um, the first thing we did is got a bunch of, bunch of complaints from orthodontists in our back backyard who would send our marketing to the dental board as he's not allowed to advertise price. And so we learned a lot of regulations about the Dental Practice Act in the state of Missouri, um, which they've since gotten rid of. So um, their point was the only complaints we get are from you dentists complaining about each other. <laughs> so we don't get any patients saying, I was really misled by this ad that says endodontist in it uh, or endodontics. That's not a board certified endodontist. That was all dentists, you know, calling up the board and saying he can't say endodontics. And so uh, we did a bunch of direct response marketing, got a bunch of complaints from competing orthodontists. But here's the cool part. Patients loved it. So, you know, direct mail is pretty easy to track. If it's got a little this goes back to like ivory soap days in the early 1900s. Got a little coupon you clip out. You got to bring the coupon in and we can count the stack of coupons. We sent out 10,000 mailers. We got 35 coupons back. It, the first time we did it, it was like hitting the lottery. So I think we spent like $10,000 on direct mail, went home and, you know, said a prayer that it would work, you know, sprinkled holy water on all the direct mail pieces. And, <laughs> and uh, it did it. So it brought back like $350,000 in revenue. And it just like blew my mind that that was possible, that we could chart our destiny, that we didn't have to go rely on patient flow and general dental practices and pediatric dental practices to feed our clinics. And so when we saw that worked, I mean, the next logical conclusion is, well, if we can feed our own clinics with patients looking for an orthodontist, 
There's more parents looking for a dentist today than there are looking for an orthodontist. In some markets, three to 10 times more parents and adult patients looking for solutions to jaw joint pain. So we started to look at different ways to bring those in, and we eventually bolted pediatric dentistry onto two of our largest practices, and we became our own best referral source. So that's the 30,000-foot view. Um, The nitty-gritty is that you can't just go into it lightly. you know. So we hired some real experts, many of which I mentioned, that wrote direct response uh, copy for Weight Watchers and Miracle Ear and Proactive, the number one teen acne brand, which is really kind of what inspired us to do Excellence in Orthodontics with Dan Kennedy. That that marketing was um, amazing. So you can't just, most people say, here's who we are. Here's where we're located. This is how many years we've been doing it. Oh, by the way, we're really nice people. And maybe here's our price and pick up the phone and call now. You know, we started off with very aggressive alternative messages, you know, like what if everything you've been told about orthodontics for your seven-year-old is wrong, right? We had a lot of people in our neighborhood putting expanders in every seven-year-old as a way to capture the patient. And we were the one office going, we think about 10% of seven-year-olds need expanders. We, we want to see them all in case they have a problem. We don't think every seven-year-old needs braces. So we started doing some things that were in the mind of the parent. When is a good time to get braces? How much does it cost? Does my insurance cover it? And does my seven-year-old really need an expander? We started answering those questions. Is Invisalign a good alternative? Is it not as good as it back then? Is it more expensive? Is it less expensive? We started putting answers into our marketing that parents were asking. And we work a lot with our clients at Burleson Seminars to do that. A lot of companies, a lot of the best companies have defined something really unique about who they are. And it makes it what Jay Bear calls a talking trigger, right? So we'll test you. And we didn't rehearse ahead of time. But can you tell me three things about the Cheesecake Factory? You know, the restaurant? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tell me three things you know about the Cheesecake Factory. Um, Massive portion sizes. Mm -hmm. um, Ridiculously uh, long menu and amazing cheesecake. (laughs) You nailed all three. You nailed all three. And I swear, like, uh, hand to God, you and I did not rehearse that ahead of time. No, not at all. Wonderful. So Jay Bear, uh, B-A-E-R, is a really smart marketing mind. He's got some great books out there. But we always teach that, and he's given us permission to show the slide. He calls them talking triggers. And you just repeated three things that everyone knows about Cheesecake Factory. Their menu is like a phone book. (laughs) Yes. It's laminated, so our... Greasy fingers as we go back and say, maybe I do want some onion rings. They give you enough food for three meals. They literally, we everyone there is going. I got enough leftovers for the whole week, so they just walk out with like a trough of food, and they've got a million types of cheesecake. So what Jay's point there is because they've got things that people can pass along to someone else. Like, oh, we went to the cheesecake factory last night. You know, we haven't been there in a long time. I forgot how much food they give you. I've got chicken fried rice for the rest of the month, right? So because they have those talking triggers. Cheesecake Factory actually spends about 40% less than their peers. So they're not, and not every restaurant is at their same tier, but restaurants at the same tier at ticket size, right? How much do you spend to go to the Cheesecake Factory? They spend 40% less on customer acquisition because everybody already knows what they do. And so if we don't have something we can pass along in our market, when a mom at the soccer field says, who's doing your kids orthodontics? And they say, oh, Dr. Smith. He's a really nice guy. Our other kids went to him. You know, he's cool. There's got to be something else. Like, oh, he teaches at the university. Oh, he's a member of our church or synagogue or something. We wanted moms to say, we go to Burleson. And for about three years, everyone went, who the hell's that? 
But then he they what they started saying he's a guy open late and he's a guy open on Saturdays. He's the and one. By, who, by the way, yeah, your whole career you were open late and on Saturdays. Yeah, I'd learned that from my dad. So my dad worked. You're a unicorn six- because I mean. There is this, and this is going to make people mad when I say this, there is this level of entitlement in the dental world. Oh, my gosh. I have to work a full five-day week. Oh, my gosh. Wait, I work three and a half-day weeks. I can't work four days. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, wake up to the <laughs> real world. <laughs> we're going to get hate mail. We're going to get hate mail. So my first I mean, book. I'll tell clients that when they when they say it to me. I'll, just, oh, I'll, you're- I'll mock them. Listen, you're, you're dead right. So uh, two stories. My first, our first book, the first chapter is called You're a Doctor. Congratulations. So what? You know, the market <laughs> doesn't care. Uh, years ago, if you were the only doctor in town, and there are some clients who have that. Listen, if you're practicing in North Dakota and there's more deer and moose or whatever you got up there than people, we've got a client in the Upper Peninsula of Mich- Michigan. He says, literally, there are more deer per square mile than people where I live. He doesn't have to. He could be open every third Thursday of the month and for two hours and he would still do well. He could put closed on the front of his building and he could say he could kick people in the shins when they walk and they would still love him because he's the only orthodontist like for 300 miles. You got to go to Canada or back down and cross a bridge and you're still like north of Toronto, six hours away. We were up there in Mackinac. I said, hey, we should come visit. I said, it's probably a couple hours. He goes, no, it's six hours. I thought you get to the tip of Michigan and go six hours. I'm not in Canada yet. So if you have a practice where you're the only game in town, uh, you might not have to do any of these things we talked about. But in Kansas City at the time, I think there were like 62 orthodontists for 2 million people. Ten, I always joked and said 10 of us could have dropped dead and nobody would have known. You just got <laughs> fall right. off and like, oh, there was an orthodontist over there? Who knows? There's one right over there. So uh, we were always open. Like I learned that from my dad. Uh, and his his dad, my grandfather, owned auto parts stores and, and service stations. And he said, you just, you know, if you're open the same hours as your competition, you know, that's just a, you're both in the mud fighting for the same people at the same time. So we fought for a very different consumer who passed along to friends and family that uh, we were open late and that we were really flexible financing. We also provided great care. That's listen, that's that's the baseline for entry. You've got to provide good care. But the story I want to share is we do mastermind meetings and most of them are orthodontists in the group, but there's an attorney in the group and he always just about halfway through the first day, he'll just lean back and start laughing. He's like, you guys, I mean, you all make a million dollars a year and you, you work four days a week. And he's this good old Southern boy. He's like, he's like in the law world, we work like seven days a week. Like we are always on. And so he just kind of brings them back into reality. Like you got it pretty good, you know, like, so two employees aren't getting along, you know, we'll figure that out. You're working four days a week, making a million bucks a year. Like it most is, attorneys do funny. work late It's hours. like, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, I was talking with one, one client, their revenue was down and they worked three and a half days a week. And I'm just like, you know, it's pretty easy to get that up. <laughs> you, know? Now, you know, listen, I mean, there, so the AAO, when the pandemic hit, they did it in 2008 and 2009. Nothing against the AAO. I love the American Association of Orthodontists. I love what they do for us. I think they are a great group of people. And I know how hard it is to get an organization to, you know, move a large group of people in the right direction. But their knee-jerk reaction to the pandemic was you should you know, close a half a day and or back in 2018, you should downsize your office, maybe lay some people off. And I thought, boy, there's a long tail to those decisions. And in the United States, we laid off a half a million dental health care workers during the pandemic. That's why we're having hiring challenges. It's not because we're not paying them enough. It's yeah, not how because many of them are back. 
I have to ask, we have, I mean, Bureau of Labor, Labor Statistics gives data pretty slow. I mean, most offices are back to being fully staffed, but I don't believe the people who were the most trained and the people we would have wanted to have come back, which is our original teams. Um, by the way, we didn't lay anyone off. We sucked it up and we paid them their full pay to sit at home. And we did Zoom meetings and we talked about how we were going to get through it together. And a lot of people were overpaid for about eight weeks. And that was fine because we kept our entire team together. But in dentistry as a whole, we, we lost half a million of them. And, and, and the long tail to that is who wants to go work for an industry where your line is always or your job is always on the line and at risk? Who wants to go to work? You know, that's what the restaurant industry is going. Well, I'm working elbow to elbow in a, over a, a hot grill, sweating my buns off, you know, for 10 bucks an hour. The, the restaurant industry said, I'm out of here. I'll go get a job at Target or Amazon slapping boxes together for 18 bucks an hour. So, you know, in, in dentistry, we have this tendency to retreat or downsize or to think, oh, things aren't going well. So the person at three and a half days a week goes, well, maybe I should go to three. You had the exact correct solution is, you know, there's consumers who will find you uh, if you're there when they want to be treated. And, you know, I hate to say that the dirty word in our industry is Smile Direct Club. The dental boards are all trying to sue them and the AAO is trying to sue them. And uh, the attorney general of the United States actually has been convinced to sue them. Uh, this is all fruitless endeavor uh, in any free market. Everything from televisions to cars to orthodontic treatment, everything goes from high price, low access to low price, high access. So we will see a, a decrease in price and an increase in access. That's how democratic, free, capitalistic markets work, absent intervention and regulation. So what we're doing is being competitive and we're being limited in our thinking. We're being... There's, there's always... There's more than enough business for everybody, but oh we get this scarcity of mentality or like, oh, there's competition. Someone's someone's come up with an idea that is challenging the status quo and yeah. just like Invisalign was at, you know, at one point. And now everyone was against Invisalign. Now they all use Invisalign. Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. My slow brain was trying to come up with the word scarce. It's a scarcity mindset. And I mean, our best clients... Think abundantly. Listen, orthodontists in the United States treat like three to four percent of the population. That's an embarrassment. We should be treating thirty to forty percent of the population. If eighty eighty nine percent, right? Expand to Britain, right? We exactly. We got clients. We have clients over there. Uh, They are taking uh, their teeth more seriously. It's not as bad as Austin Powers. It's like, but it is (laughs) a little bit of a like. Oh, he's got crooked teeth. Who cares? Let me stop right there. Let me pivot. So you're doing really things outside the box. You know. You know, working six days a week, early to late, meeting a specific niche, which is great. But then the the seminars, because the seminars thing is just exploded. Um, and that kind of gave you a little bit of the ability to sell your practices. So talk about how that evolved and what that is. Yeah, I've, oh, I've, I've tell people I've always loved teaching. I just don't like, I don't like what teachers are paid. Right? So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, no offense. I had a lot of teachers in my family as well. So, I mean, it's like, you guys are like saints on earth walking amongst us and they pay you like the least amount of money. It's, it's insane. It's, it's criminal. Uh, so I've always loved teaching. So very early in my career, I think 2009, they asked, does anybody want to come volunteer at the cleft lip and palate team? And I had my hand up and I looked behind me and there was like no one else's hand was up. So uh, I got immersed in the world of cleft lip and palate care, started doing nasal alveolar molding where we start molding the cleft segments as we started day seven. So that's the youngest patient I've worked on is one week old. 
and we did that at Children's Mercy Hospital, started teaching. And then the university for the orthodontic residency, they usually like you to have some experience before you come teach the ortho residency. So I think maybe 2012, so maybe six years out, I started teaching over there. So I always loved teaching. When we started doing marketing, I never went to the world and said, I'm going to be a consultant. I'm going to teach people how to do practice management and, and business. That found us. So when we started doing that marketing, we started getting invited to come speak and share what we were doing uh, at large marketing meetings. And then the phone started ringing. And Dennis and Orthodon said, we want to know what he's doing with, how's he doing direct mail? How's he doing this Infusionsoft CRM? What's he doing? How's he hire? So they wanted answers to their common questions. And we, and we said, well, come to Kansas city and you can hang out for the day and, and we'll show you what we do. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I would be exhausted and they would be exhausted. And we usually put like 10 or 12 at a time. We called them fly on the wall days. And I would see them in a meeting a year later and say, Hey, did you ever, did you ever do some direct mail? And they're like, nah, I never got around to it. So it was a little frustrating for me to see doctors who had enough interest to come observe the system, but then weren't doing any of it, weren't getting the results. So I told the front desk, say, hey, the next time they called, charge them. You know, so we think we started charging like 5,000 bucks for the day and they kept coming in droves. So uh, when they started continuing to come paying, they said, hey, do you have a they newsletter? They doing what you said when they paid you, right? Yeah, there you go. Magic, right? Somehow, if you take free golf lessons uh, or you get a free personal trainer, you know, it's real easy not to show up or not to do what they say. If you're paying 150 bucks an hour, probably going to take their advice. So yeah, so they started doing it. And what we saw were doctors routinely doubling the sizes of their practice inside of our systems. It's real simple stuff. You know, it's answer your phones, you know, pay attention to your KPIs, have a profit and loss and a cash flow statement every month, know where you're spending based on a budget, uh, you know, provide great customer service, fix the hours. A lot of things we do, there's kind of a wheelhouse of things we do. It takes them about 18 months to get through that. And routinely, they were going from 1.8 to 3.6 or 3.6 to 7.2. Or we started having clients that were much bigger than me. We had 20 and $30 million annual revenue clients. And so we thought, okay, this stuff works. And so then we had the opportunity to continue teaching that. And now we're doing that and, sh and sharing that with other large DSOs that want to get their doctors more productive, opticians, audiologists, chiropractors, implant dentists, plastic surgeons. Uh, podiatrist. It works in all those industries. So we have now members that are outside of orthodontics because a lot of stuff we do is stuff you do, right? It's here we are on a podcast as a way to give people information to help them learn more about you. That's genius. Where most orthodontics websites before we started teaching a lot of this, were just like an online brochure. I'm like, they need to have a video where they can learn about Invisalign. They need to see parents sharing testimonials. They need to have, right? So some of our top dental offices have their own dental podcast where they're talking about, you know, they're doing patient testimonials. We've got a wonderful audiology group, um, Dr. Keith Darrow and Jared Brader. You can find Dr. Darrow's podcast where he interviews other people in the industry and just um, he's become kind of this inspiring guru to his patients. Uh, it's just exactly what we did. And we just started sharing it with, with doctors who had an interest. So uh, it's been, it's been a fun ride. So tell tell the audience like what do you offer like if you go to burlesonseminars.com, what are the, what are the, what can they sign up for what's free what's paid everything in between yeah so we we launched a new website at November of last year bless you and our marketing team has hit a home run because we used to get two to three thousand unique visitors per month at that website and in December we had sixty thousand unique visitors to our website which is good for our industry so you can go there and get a lot of free information uh, we have a blog where we're posting articles about you know here's things you should know if you're going to do direct response radio 
here's how much you should spend in most markets. So real practical answers to questions are free on our blog. We have a free podcast as well. They can listen to. We interview best-selling authors. You get a lot of great, I think, principled information. So at, at a at a high level, you know. What are some of the stepping stones to burnout? How can I sleep better? You know, what should I be doing with my kids to make sure that, you know, that they're going to live into their God-given potential? There were a lot of those big topics on the podcast. And then our monthly membership, I usually have one sitting around, is a physical newsletter that goes out. Which you um, sent me one, and I saw it, and it's pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. So this is this was uh, last month's. And so we sent out a booklet of about, you know, 40 to 50 pages. Uh, so this is, people want to know, like, what sort of reports do you get every day, every week? So I send them, here's my, here's my annual checklist of things I get back from my financial advisor and from my um, CPA. Here is a list of the things we do quarterly. So every month there's kind of four topics we talk about. And then we give them on the inside, we give them a little QR code and they can download a quick video like this, me showing them what's inside the book and why they should pay attention to it, what's important, and then resources. So if they want to use that template, they can scan the little QR code and download the actual template. So we do that every month, and we've been doing that now for 10 years. So we have over – it's over 10 years. We're in our 11th year. Do you have trouble coming over. with content every month? No, it's unreal. <laughs> it's, too, it's a lot of – there's no off switch up here. There's always – I mean, we've got stuff from – online marketing, offline marketing to how you set up your success environment. This I'm currently in a rental home because we've torn our house from bow to stern. They're, they're doing a 10-month renovation, at which point I asked them, at 10 months, shouldn't we just tear the thing down and build a new house? So uh, what you set up around you, I did, I did a, a program on you know, what's on the wall, what's, what's around you that reminds you of where you're headed? Because you know? if you just got a big flat screen TV and a couch you found at a local you know, a furniture store, but you don't have like, I've got little things that remind me of Walt Disney and why I like that company. I've got things that remind me of the financial journey I'm on. I've got a first edition books of authors I love. And that reminds me of what the hell I'm trying to accomplish. I've got a program on that. So I've got obscure topics. We've got real practical topics. Like what questions do you ask people in in a job interview? You know, how do you hire them with a roadmap that shows them where they're going to start? That's where most people end. They're like, okay, we're going to pay you $22 $22 an hour. This is your supervisor. She'll train you. We don't show them that once they achieve these levels of certification, that they'll go to 23 and then 2450. And then they have to become a supervisor and they make this per year. And if they get this level of certification and take on these responsibilities, they make that per year. So we've got a whole program on how they hire and how we use a structured interview process. So there's a ton of content. Um, I will say halfway in that journey, when I decided, okay, people actually want to come pay for advice that's working, I went back to school and got my master's in business administration and healthcare management and marketing. So I got my MBA. So I've got more stuff to teach dentists about business than I'll ever have time to teach it. We try to put so, all this into, yeah, go ahead. So what if, I, what, if I'm, what if I'm one of those four-day-a-week orthodontists, which is the norm, and I say, but I want to grow, but I'm not willing to go six days a week and work till 7 p.m.? Yeah, so, I still get something out of Burleson Seminars. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually say, you know, most member, in fact, I've never met a member who goes, oh, late hours, weekends, writes to them, oh, got it, and runs out of the seminar room and like goes and changes their hours. Like nobody leaps to that. Uh, in fact, most members we say probably don't need to do that. We did it because we were in a startup mode and a very competitive market where we needed something to differentiate ourselves. So the answer to that question really centers around how much time they have. 
you know, are they 65 years old and they haven't been saving anything for retirement? Because we're going to have to do something really unique in that market. Could be that we flexibly finance everyone better than the competition. Could be that we compete based on price. Could be that we just really do some exceptional direct response marketing and make their clinic more efficient. A lot of docs have been around a long time that are not making the net income they want to make, have not realized that their expenses continue to climb, but they haven't been raising their fees. They haven't been paying attention to new patient conversion. And now they've got a situation where they've got good top line revenue growth, but they don't have good bottom line net income growth. And so there's a lot we can do without changing their hours. It depends on how much time they have. So, you know, and, and also their appetite for risk because we can help them go acquire two more practices, put in two associates, and we can triple the size of the business. I just need to introduce you to a good banker, and you need to have a little bit of an appetite for risk. And so we have a client who started with us with two offices. The end of last year, they ended with 24 offices. They went from, I think, $3 million in revenue to $35 million in revenue. They did that in less than three years. That's because they have a good appetite for risk, and they have a good relationship with a good bank. That's fantastic. So as we kind of wind down here, what advice would you give to the orthodontics world out there? Oh, wow. You know, I attended the most recent midwinter meeting where we were talking about 3D printers and where we geeked out on every little nuance. And that's great. We are perfectionistic in mindset. I would say be cautious. Perfectionism can be evil. All right. I think it was Lucifer, the, the angel that thought he was more perfect than God, right? Yeah. Turned out to be kind of a bad guy, right? So <laughs> this perfectionism idea in dentistry is fine when it comes to how teeth fit together, right? That's a good ideal. But to spew perfectionism on the market or our employees or how we think about business is really dangerous and, and really evil, all right? So I would encourage orthodontists to, to think about, and I'll borrow a phrase from a friend of ours who does a lot of uh, work with clients, is to, to when you're in the orthodontic clinic, it's fine to wear your orthodontist hat. But when you're making a decision about buying a big piece of capital equipment or hiring an employee or laying your entire team off during a pandemic, you should put on the compassionate leadership hat. You should put on the owner hat when you're looking at your finances. So the problem is most orthodontists never change hats. They stay in the same hat. They constantly think as perfectionistic doctors, and they should think more like leaders when that's demanded of them. They should think more like business owners when that's demanded of them. They should think more like parents when that's demanded of them. I can't tell you how many doctors we have today that go home at night and then sit in the basement figuring out 3D printing or stay in their offices late at night on the weekends, 3D printing their own aligners. Um, that's because we want to do it all. Even if you could, you don't have enough time. So I would say, make sure you're wearing the right hat at the right time and um, be grateful for the opportunity you've been given because you're only here for a short amount of time and you want to make the biggest impact with it. You want to spend your energy wisely. You'll do that by not always being in the orthodontist mindset. It's a very dangerous place to be. So if people want to get in touch with you, they want to learn more about what you do, how they can be a part of it. How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, they can just Google me, just Google Dustin Burleson, or you'll probably land on BurlesonSeminars.com and you can hop in there and we'd be happy to help however we can. Awesome. Dustin, I really appreciate your time today. This has been a great conversation. Thanks. I had a lot of fun. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannon. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannon, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannon, visit rossbrannon.com. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.